Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. The finished work of Christ is the most amazing and wonderful work ever to take place in the realm of mankind. I'm telling you, it required the greatest victory that it was ever won over death, hell, and the grave. And it also provides for us the greatest needs that we all have in this life. Deliverance from spiritual death, healing and health, provision, protection, of course, eternal destination. Well, in the book of Romans chapter 8, let's look at verses 15 through 17. There's some good news here. You know, this is the good news. That's not bad news, it's good news. Turn on the TV if you want bad news. Open your Bible if you want good news. Amen. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For the Spirit itself or himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. If so be that we suffer with him, we may all be also glorified together. Then in the book of Galatians, in chapter 3 and verse 29. If you be Christ, anybody hear Christ? You belong to him? Then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Notice we are called the heirs of promise in the book of Hebrews. Every single one of us has an inheritance. We are beneficiaries of a new and everlasting covenant. We don't want to miss that time of his visitation. Do you realize that Jesus, before he went back to glory, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have longed to reach out my arms and gather you under my wings and care for you, to love you, to protect you, and to provide for you, and so on and so forth. He said, but you would not have it. He then went on to say that because of their rejection of his visitation, he said, your house is going to be left to you desolate. They'll build a trench around the city of Jerusalem. And they're going to bring down the temple and everything. And in AD 70, it was all destroyed, was it not? Absolutely. And why? Because you didn't know. You, you rejected. You didn't recognize. This was the time of your visitation. This was the time that God himself appeared among you. And he visited you in his own person by his son. You didn't recognize him, the time, or the knowledge. We don't want to be ignorant of the time that we're living in right now. We don't want to be ignorant of the visitation that we've had as believers. We want to be very much aware of the fact of who we are and what we have in Christ. Jesus gave his life. His finished work provides for us redemption. We've been redeemed from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his love. Now, in the book of Galatians chapter 3, we're heirs of God. We are heirs of everything he purchased with his blood. 
And we have this mighty inheritance. But here in verse 7 through 9, Galatians chapter 3. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, are you of faith? The same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel to Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed. Say it with me, I'm blessed with faithful Abraham. So now we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus, children of Abraham, and blessed with faithful Abraham. Say it again, I'm blessed. Do you know that if you're blessed, you can't possibly be cursed? We'll pick that up a little bit later. Well, because we're blessed, because we're heirs, we have an inheritance. But look here in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Question, did Christ hang on a tree? Was he nailed to that cross? Did he hang on the tree? Absolutely. Uh, if he was hung on the cross, then he became the curse for us. Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Did he become the curse for us so that we wouldn't have to bear the curse for ourselves? He sure did, didn't he? But is that the only reason? No. It says, so that the blessings of Abraham could come upon the Gentiles. So not only do we not have to bear the curse because he became the curse, we are also blessed with faithful Abraham. So Abraham's blessings, we could say, are ours. Well, how blessed was Abraham? He was blessed spiritually. He was blessed financially. He was blessed physically. He was blessed with long life. He lived to be 175 years old. At age 140, he married Keturah and had six more children. The man was either insane or insanely in love. 140, six more children. Any takers? I'm just going to throw this out to you. We were talking about it in the offices. Keturah, as I looked it up on one of the Jewish sites, is believed to be Hagar. Mother of Ishmael. When she went away, the name was changed. Supposedly, they say, this is Jewish belief and tradition. She remained faithful to Abraham all those years. And after Isaac got married, he went and sought her out. This is what they did back then, the tradition was. And found her and said to go back to her father. Or to, to her. He was a concubine at the time, but now to marry his father. It's believed that they're the same person. Isn't that something? But imagine her being faith, faithful to him, pure, remain pure all those years to fulfill what was right by Jewish law. Isn't that something? Just thought I'd throw that out to you. So if you want to get married at 140 and have six more children, Abraham's blessings are really yours. But 
Beside all that, you're blessed with faithful Abraham. And that means you're blessed with spiritual manifestations, long life, health, prosperity, and everything that goes with the blessings of Abraham in the earth. All right. Now, the curse that Jesus became has been revealed to us in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Look at verse 15. But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. The rest of this chapter speaks of curses. Now we know that obedience is blessed. But we also know that disobedience opens up the door to a curse. For the curse causeless shall not come. The consequences of disobedience are listed here for us to know that these are curses of the law. Well, the good news is that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. So if we were to discover what the curse of the law is, well then, praise God, we can know what we've been redeemed from, and then we can rise up in faith and just say, "Uh uh-uh, I've been redeemed from you, coronavirus. I've been redeemed from you. You have no right to live in my body. We'll get back to that in a minute. But look at the book of Numbers in chapter 23 and verse 8, and then 19 through 20 and 23. And let's look at some of these verses and what they say to us. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? Go on down. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And then verse 23. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, or curse, Neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob, of Israel, what hath God wrought. So, we understand that he said, who God's blessed, I can't curse. So, have you been blessed with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus? Have you? Are you blessed then with those blessings? Are Abraham's blessings yours? Has God pronounced upon you a blessing? So are you blessed tonight? Then you know what? You can't be cursed. All these people that talk about, I got a generational curse, I got this curse, I got that curse. Stop it. It's either one or the other. Either you're blessed or you're cursed. What are you? Blessed. Whom God had blessed cannot be cursed. And that's exactly what he was told. He told him to go what? Go pronounce a curse upon the people of God. I can't. Why not? God blessed them. If God blessed them, I can't curse them. You cannot have a curse come upon you. You're redeemed from the curse. If you've been redeemed from the curse, then you're blessed. If you're blessed with faithful Abraham, you can't be cursed. Simple as that. One or the other. So say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed coming in. I'm blessed going out. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the basket. I'm blessed in the store. 
All that I set my hand to do is blessed. Why? Because I'm just blessed everywhere I go. You see, it's up to us as far as what we say. If I say I'm cursed, I can't be blessed. But if I say I'm blessed, I can't be cursed. So what would you rather have? The rest of you? The blessing, right? All right. Now, the curse of sickness. We believe in using every tool, every means God has provided for us to be healthy and to be healed or to be whole. Do we not? Every means that God has provided for us. Okay. We also realize, though, that medical science and natural means are not always all that we need. As a matter of fact, oftentimes there's nothing that can be done. These means are limited, and we know that. Man's knowledge is limited, and we know that. And besides, you're going to find out there are certain sicknesses and diseases pronounced in this book of the law that says that cannot be cured. If God pronounces that these cannot be cured, it doesn't matter what man does. They cannot be cured. Period. Unless God himself were to do something supernaturally or release something that man can use for it. But as long as God says it can't be cured, it can't be cured. Otherwise, you're going up against God. Well, for these reasons, I believe it's important for us to be learning about divine healing and health and how we can receive divine healing and health by faith. And our faith needs to rise up to a higher level. But let's look at some of the things listed here as far as the curse of the law is concerned. And as we read these verses from the New Living Translation, let's remind ourselves as we each read each one of them that I'm redeemed from that. I'm redeemed from that. Why is this important? Because you've been redeemed, not with silver, not with gold, but the blood of your Savior. And the blood of our Savior is not falling to the ground in vain. If he bought, paid for, and purchased my health, I want it. What about you? Absolutely. If he paid the price to redeem me from a disease or a sickness, I want that redemption to be realized. What about you? Deuteronomy 28, starting at verse 16. Let's go through some of these. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Who wants that? Your fruit baskets and breadboards will be cursed. Who wants that? This, these are curses for disobedience now. These are the consequences of disobedience. Your children and your crops will be cursed. Who wants that? The offspring of your herds and flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you will be cursed. The Lord himself will send on you curses. That really should be rendered allow curses to be sent on you. Confusion. Think about that. Confusion. Mental disorders. Frustration in everything you do. Until at last you are completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. The Lord will allow you to be afflicted with diseases until none of you are left in the land you are about to enter and occupy. The Lord will strike you or allow you to be stricken with wasting diseases. Why do I keep saying that? Because in the literal Hebrew, that's how it should be read. He'll allow you to be stricken with wasting diseases, fever, 
inflammation, scorching heat and drought with blight and mildew. Any of that sound inviting? These diseases will pursue you until you die. The skies above will be unyielding as bronze, and the earth beneath will be as hard as iron. The Lord will change the rain that falls on your land into powder, and dust will pour down from the sky until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated by your enemies. You will attack your enemies from one direction, but you will scatter from them in seven. You'll be the object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your corpses will be food for all the scavenging birds and wild animals, and none will be there to chase them away. The Lord will afflict you or allow you to be afflicted with the boils of Egypt and the, with tumors, scurvy, and the itch from which you cannot be cured. Isn't that horrible right there? This itch will just not go away. The Lord will strike you or allow you to be stricken with madness, blindness, and panic. You will grope around in broad daylight like a blind person groping in the darkness, but you will not find your way. You will be oppressed and robbed continually, and none will come to save you. You will be engaged to a woman, but another man will sleep with her. You will build a house, but someone else will live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will never enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be butchered before your eyes, but you will not eat a single bite of the meat. Your donkey will be taken from you, never to be returned. Your sheep and goats will be given to your enemies, and none will be there to help you. You will watch as your sons and daughters are taken away as slaves. Your heart will break for them, but you won't be able to help them. A foreign nation you have never heard about will eat the crops you work so hard to grow. You will suffer under constant oppression and harsh treatment. You will go mad because of all the tragedy you see around you. The Lord will cover your knees and legs with incurable boils or allow them to be covered with incurable boils. In fact, you will not be covered from head. I mean, you will be covered from head to foot. Wow. Anybody want that? Those are some of the curses of the law that are written in the book, Deuteronomy 28. Written for us to know. All right. Where's coronavirus come in? Well, since you've asked, move on down to uh, verse 59. Then the Lord will overwhelm you and your children, or allow you to be overwhelmed, with indescribable plagues. These plagues will be intense and without relief, making you miserable and unbearably sick. He will allow you to be afflicted with diseases of Egypt, that you feared so much and you will have no relief. The Lord will afflict you with every sickness and plague. There is even those not mentioned in this book of instruction until you are destroyed. So those that are written within and those that are not written. Coronavirus is not written in there. But doesn't mean it's not covered. Whether it's within or not within. So... The bad news is, those things are horrible. 
And really, we don't want to have anything to do with them. The worst news is we can't keep the law. We just can't keep the law. Who's 100% obedient? Are we? Any of us? So we could very easily expose ourselves to what? The curse causeless shall not come. So the curse can come upon us through disobedience. Mm, except for one thing. It wasn't up to us to keep the law. Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. So Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by fulfilling the law and going to a tree where on that tree he actually bore the curse of the law. Everything we read there he bore. And everything that's not written there he bore. Every sickness, every disease, every, let's say, mental disorder, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, anything like that, dementia, he bore in his own body on the tree becoming the curse, not just sin, sickness, disease, and mental anguish, he bore upon himself, and then he buried it. To liberate anyone who would believe. We are redeemed from the curse of the law. He bore it for us so we don't have to bear it so that the blessings of Abraham would come upon us. Oh, thank God you and I are blessed in Abraham and with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And whom God hath blessed just can't be cursed. Unless you want to. You know, some people fight for the right to be sick. I guess if you want to, you can, but I don't suggest it to anybody. All right. Be nice if it was all automatic, wouldn't it? All the finished work of Christ that's been provided for us is wonderful and it's also accessible. But it's accessible through faith. It takes faith to tap into all the finished work of Christ. And if we want to walk in the fullness of our redemption, it is absolutely essential that we develop our faith or grow our faith. You know why? We don't start out with great faith. We start with the same measure of faith that everybody got when they got saved. And from that point on, it's up to us to dig into the Word of God and find out what it says belongs to us in Christ. And would you agree with me that some people are, let's say, more um, involved than others, more proactive in other, than others in finding out and researching what belongs to them in Christ. And some people, they're not even concerned about finding out what the Bible says about who they are and what they have in Christ. Just read a chapter here and be satisfied that I did my religious duty for the day. And that's not how it is. God wants us to be living epistles of the living Christ, known and read of all men. He wants us to be active students of the Word of God. A disciple is a student, an understudy of the Master. He wants us to be faithful stewards of the Word. Study to show ourselves approved. A workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of Truth. And you know, the enemy will always come against us and try to instill within our thinking thoughts that are not really biblically sound. Like sickness is Jesus 
teaching you a lesson how to be a better Christian. Hogwash. No scripture for that whatsoever. You can serve God better being sick. No way. You can't find that verse in the Bible. Nowhere. No way. It amazes me how some people seem to point to someone who didn't get healed or, or someone who's out there in teaching subjects that are really not biblically sound and falling for it. Hook, line, and sinker. Look at the life of Jesus. Don't look at Timothy's stomach. Don't look at Job's boils. Don't look at Paphroditus. Don't look at these individuals. Besides, Job was healed in nine months and got restored back everything, double fold of whatever lost. That's not a bad thing, would you say? No. And another one, of course, is Paul's thorn, which is really not a sickness at all. But people teach that. Why? Because they're demonically inspired to teach something like that. Yeah, that's what I said. Because it's the truth. Demonically inspired to teach something to undermine people's faith. How do I know that? It's actually written what is thorn was. A messenger of Satan. Sent to buffet him everywhere he went to stir up trouble against him. And that happened throughout his life. It wasn't a sickness. It wasn't a disease. It was stirring up people to trouble him. And if you look at the expression thorn in the flesh throughout your Bible, go back to the book of Numbers 33, you can see it all the way through. That expression thorn in the flesh or in the side is nothing more than us saying a pain in the neck. Did you ever use that expression before and just say, what a pain in the neck? You don't have a pain. You're just upset with somebody. They created a pain, but not a physical one, a mental one. So when he said a messenger of Satan, Satan, that messenger of Satan, messenger actually is angelos, which means angel of Satan. It's used 188 times, 181 times, it's actually angel, and seven times it's messenger. It all means angel. An angel, a, demon, a deep devil or demon spirit was sent to stir up trouble wherever he went to get him what? To be silenced. To not proclaim the gospel. Well, when people fall for that kind of teaching, what they do is they shut down their faith. It takes faith to believe, to receive everything that Jesus died for. And the enemy is attacking people's faith by what? Teaching them wrong. And if they're taught wrong, they're not going to have the kind of faith that is necessary to receive from God. You can't fight if you don't have faith. Fight the good fight of faith. So it's important to remember that. Our faith can grow. Our faith must grow if we are going to experience all that's ours and stand against everything that's not. So in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 3, let's look at this. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope and our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. It goes on to say, your faith grows exceedingly. Exceedingly growing faith means that a person's faith can grow. Our faith can grow. Or we can become stagnant in our faith and not grow at all. We can be satisfied with where we're at. Or we can say, you know what? I'm tired of being in this realm of little faith. 
Remember how Jesus taught his disciples? No faith, little faith, great faith, perfect faith. Look at the different degrees or levels of faith. No faith. No faith says we're dying and you don't care, Lord. Mark 4. We're dying and you don't care. That's no faith. Little faith is walking out on the water and getting your eyes off the word and you're now looking at the circumstances. You begin to sink and Jesus says, oh, Peter, ye have little faith. Little faith started the miracle, but it wasn't consummated because his faith was not undergirded by patience. So that's little faith. Doesn't complete the project. And then great faith is the woman with the issue, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, who said to, to Jesus, I just want a crumb that falls from the table. And he says, oh woman, great is your faith. Great faith. And also the Roman centurion. I've not found so great faith in all of Israel. There's another level or degree of faith. No faith, little faith, great faith. But then you've got Abraham, we're told, had perfect faith. Faith that says, I see the end result before it ever happens. I already picture it in my mind. I know it's so. I will go and kill my son because I know that God has to raise him from the dead if I do. Period. And he received it in a figure. Can you imagine that? He said, we're going to go up there and worship and then we're going to come back even though he knows he's going to kill his son. But we're going to come back, the both of us, to you servants down here. You watch and see. He knows he's going to kill him. But he knows he's coming back. Perfect faith. Perfect faith into the, enters into that realm or arena that says, I know it. I know it that I know that I know that I know that I know. As far as I'm concerned, praise God, I know I'm healed. I know I'm delivered. I'm set free. So the Bible uses many adjectives to describe faith. Little faith, unfeigned faith, great faith, strong faith. He was strong in faith. Weak faith, shipwrecked faith, and the list goes on and on. But growing faith means developing faith. Faith that's progressively getting stronger and stronger. Faith that increases in size or progresses to maturity. We want our faith to grow. But how's that going to happen? How can our faith grow? Well, there's only one way. Well, we can, there are many things we're going to add to this, but we're going to start right here. First of all, look in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 7. This is from the New Living Translation. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him, then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thanksgiving. Notice our roots. We're to be rooted in him. His finished work, we're to be rooted in it. It's so to speak so much to our hearts and minds that it should be in our hearts and on our lips. I'm rooted in what Jesus did, not in what the devil's doing in the world. I'm rooted in what Jesus provided for me. I'm grounded in what Jesus provided for me. And I'm closing my ears to all the negativity of the world. And when the world says it's impossible, and the world says be in fear, and the world says this, that, or the other thing, what we should be echoing is it is written. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the coronavirus, being made a curse for me, that the blessing of Abraham, which is healing and health, would come upon me. Therefore, the coronavirus is not invited to my house. I set up a barrier by the blood of Jesus Christ around my house and around my person. I declare it. 
I decree it. I proclaim it. It has no right to live or function in me. Every cell in the cellular structure of my body responds only to life. It does not respond to death. They do not respond to death, only to life. So therefore, coronavirus, no trespassing. The sign's going up. I will not be afraid. I will not fear. Yeah, I'll do whatever they say to do. But I'll tell you what, more than anything else, we better do what God said to do. And by the way, way back to the turn of the century, there was some kind of virus or some kind of whatever it was, disease, that killed like 56 million people. You don't hear much about that. There's been more that died from the flu than the coronavirus. But yet, it's fear driven by the media. Closing schools and... I had this thought. It may be a weak one, but I had this thought. There's only one person I think that would have the faith to pray, that would pray to close the schools. Andrew. (laughs) And when he heard the high schools might be following the colleges and closing the high schools, his smile from ear to ear. Amazing. He said, thank you, Jesus. Well, I still graduate. I said, you'll still graduate. You might have to do your work at home if they do choose to do that. But we may have to talk to him about this. Because I know that's been his prayer. (laughs) Is to get out of school as fast as he could. He actually sends me texts and he says, Can I ask God to give me some kind of high speed motivation? So that I can be translocated from March to May. Can I translocate from March to May? And I said, that's not possible. He, I said, that's not possible. He said, all things are possible, Dad. I said, put that in context, son. You got to put that in context. He said, you said all things are possible. All things are possible. We can do it. He says, can we time travel? No, that's not possible. Oh, yes, it is. All things are possible. He's got it all listed, I'm telling you. But anyhow, everything that Jesus provided for us, we've got to be rooted in. We've got to be grounded in. We need an anchor for the soul that says, look, I'm going to be stubborn about this. I'm redeemed from the curse of sickness and disease. The shed blood of Jesus is my guarantee. He stands behind every word of the covenant. And what he did for me is a done deal. He doesn't have to do it again. It's already done. First Peter 2.24 makes it very clear by whose stripes we were healed. And once again, the commentary of Matthew 8, 16 and 17 that tells us that Isaiah was talking about the fact that he bore our sickness and carried our pains. So if he bore our sickness, if he carried our pains and with his stripes we were healed, then we've got to be rooted and grounded in that revelational truth. He bore my sickness, he carried my pains. And grow our faith. Well, how are we going to grow our faith? Look at Mark's Gospel chapter 4. Just like any plant that's planted into the soil, It doesn't produce fruit overnight, does it? It takes time. There's a process that takes place. And here it is. And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, 
immediately he put it in the sickle because the harvest is come. Notice the progression. You take the seed, you sow into the soil. It begins to grow. It becomes a plant. Okay, and then it begins to bear fruit. And then, of course, you pick the fruit. If we want to bear fruit, we've got to understand the process. We sow the seed of God's word into our heart, and we start saying, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. Christ redeemed me from the curse of the law. Therefore, whatever they say I have cannot live, and my body cannot remain in my body. I'm not denying that it's there. I'm saying it can't live there. It doesn't have the right to stay there. It's our body. It's our possession. Get off my property, praise God. Get out of here. You have no right to live in me at all. Stand firm in faith against this onslaught of the enemy and this sickness or disease that's coming against our lives. Now, just like bearing fruit, once it grows and once it starts bearing fruit of salvation, healing, deliverance, victory, protection, provision, and so on, we give all the glory and the credit to God for sending his son Jesus to die for us, to giving us a platform to speak from so that we could declare that in the face of all opposition and all the world hurls our way, we can say the victory that overcomes the world is my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so when someone says, are you afraid of the coronavirus? No, I'm not. Why? Because my faith is in the finished work of Christ who became the curse on Calvary's tree for me, it cannot live in my body. I'm not giving it the right to. Give no place to the devil. No entry point, no territory. Give him no opportunity. Give him no place to function or operate in any way. It's up to us to be firm about it, to be bullheaded about it, headstrong about it, stiff-necked about it, if you will. Stiff-necked means I'm not budging. I'm redeemed. Say it with me, I'm redeemed. I'm, redeemed. I'm, blessed. I'm blessed. I can't be cursed. Can't be cursed. God calls me blessed. Call me. Nobody can call me cursed. Nobody. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, promoting our spiritual growth and our faith. Number one, feeding on the word. Feeding on the word. How in the world are we going to grow if we don't feed on the word? If you want to grow in faith for healing, what do we have to feed our spirit? Word, the word on healing. The subject on healing. When Jesus walked this planet, anyone and everyone that came to him for healing was healed. They were healed because of his compassion, not because of his deity or not because of his power. They were healed because he was compassionate. Matthew 14, 14 makes it very clear. He had compassion upon them and healed all their sick. Everywhere he went in the cities and villages round about, Galilee and all the regions round about, everyone that was brought to him, he healed them all. He couldn't even escape to a mountain when he got up to a mountain. And up on that mountaintop, they brought up to him many on cots that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and also many others. Think about it. Lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others. All it says is many others. We have no idea how many other diseases or sicknesses he killed or he, he, he healed when he was up there on that mountain. But just the fact that they brought these sickly people on cots up a mountain. Now, would you call a mountain a mountain? Or would you call a hill a mountain? I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say hill if it was a mountain, would you? So we're not talking about a little hill. We're talking about a mountain. A mountain. And they brought these sickly people maimed 
body parts removed or missing, blind, lame, deaf, all these conditions up on the mountain, plus many others, and they cast them at the feet of Jesus. And they marveled in so much that they saw the deaf to hear, the blind to see, the, lame, the maimed to be made whole, and the lame to walk. And uh, the others were healed as well. He healed more people in one week than 4,000 years of Jewish history. Did you know that? One week. The world couldn't contain the books to be written. If it was all written, what he did. It's amazing. And then after they all got healed, can you imagine the shouting going on when you see someone who didn't have an arm has an arm, or didn't have a leg, all of a sudden has a leg, or a foot and has a foot? Imagine that. You say, is that difficult for God? Remember when Peter cut off the ear? What did Jesus do? It wasn't like a potato head or something like that. He just stuck one back on. <laughs> now, I don't know if he bent over and picked it up and stuck it back on and just like that. You have to forgive me. <laughs> just like that, the guy got a new ear. Do you think that that man might have believed he was the son of God at that point? I can imagine. Here, the ear's gone. No ear. All of a sudden, Jesus touches it and boom, there's another ear. Amazing. Imagine it. Would it be a wonderful thing to see some of that happen? But it did happen. That's what he did. Okay. He healed more people in one week than 4,000 years of human history. Why? Because he was compassionate toward the sick. He actually lift up his eyes and says, the need is so great. The harvest is so great, but the laborers are few. Send laborers into the harvest. Then he anointed people to go and heal the sick and set the captives free. Everywhere they went, he said, heal the sick, heal the sick, heal the sick. In any city you go to, heal the sick, heal the sick, heal the sick. Why didn't he say, but tell half of them, you got to serve me sick. He never said that. Never, never, ever said that. But people have these doctrines of devils, I guess. All right, Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. If I'm going to feed my faith, I've got to feed my faith on the word of God. I have to feed my faith on healing scriptures. I have to embrace them and constantly feed my faith so my faith can be, faith can be robust and strong along this line. That's why we have our healing class on Friday, faith and healing class. 10 o'clock in the morning so people can come and hear more from the Word of God about faith and healing and how they can develop their faith and get stronger faith just to keep it fresh because it doesn't come by having heard. One of the worst things we could ever say when it comes to these truths is this. I already know that. I've already heard that. Stop right there. That's being prideful. I've never walked up past the pizza parlor and said I've already eaten one. Never. I try not to, anyhow. Am I going to turn it down because I've had one yesterday or the day before or this morning or this afternoon? Or... No. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it nourishes me. Whether it's steak, whether it's mashed potatoes and gravy, whether it's whatever you like, green beans and whatever. You don't say I've eaten that before. So we shouldn't say I've heard that before. It's the same product, but it's still going to give me energy and strength, is it not? So when I hear myself say, hmm, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget one of his benefits. None of them. Don't forget any of them. Why does he say that? Because it's so easy for the soul to forget what they've been redeemed from and what the benefit is when they're under stress or when they're attacked or when they feel pain. So David said, don't forget the benefit, condition of a contract that belongs to you. He forgives all your sin. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from destruction. He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies my mouth with good things that my youth is renewed like the eagles. We found the fountain of youth in Psalm 103. Hallelujah. Feed your faith. Starve your doubts is what we've been told. Starve your doubt. Don't give it any ammunition. Look at the next one, Jeremiah 15, 16. Thy words were found and I did eat them. You looking for something good to eat? There it is. And thy word was unto me the joy and the rejoicing of mine heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. They have to be found. Find the word that says, with his stripes I'm healed. Find the word that says, he heals all my diseases. Find the word that says, in Jeremiah 30, 17, I'll restore health unto thee and heal thee of every wound. Find the scriptures that say, why should a man die before his time, before his due season? The due season, of course, meaning what? The ripe old age. When is harvest time? Is it March? Is it April? Is it May? No. That's planting season. When's harvest time? When it's fully matured. So what's he saying? Why should a man die before his time? Why should it be harvested before his due season? There's a time for man to die. He's talking about in context, the time is when you have lived out your days, you have honored your Lord, you have served your God, and like Abraham at 175 years old, he gave up the ghost. So he's talking about longevity. And there are things we are told we can do in the book of Proverbs to add years and days to our lives. And we need to be aware of them. Pleasant words are as a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries up the bones. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. Look at Psalm 34. This is verse 8 from the Message Bible. I like the way it says it. Open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. Blessed are you who run to him. Taste. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste means engage it. Get involved in it. So we've been invited to taste and see it. In other words, experience it. Don't be satisfied until you experience it. I don't know about you, but there are some things I don't like to taste. I would refuse to taste it. Years ago, when I first came here, someone invited us to go out to a restaurant. Went to a restaurant, which was a pretty high-class restaurant. And I know he was doing a wonderful thing, and he really thought that this is a wonderful thing to do. But he ordered appetizers, didn't say what you wanted. He just ordered appetizers for all at the table. And when I looked down and I saw this blue points, I never saw anything like that before in my life. Blue point, which is like an oyster, yeah, on a half shell. Just an oyster, uncooked, just, just, just 
It looked like it's still alive, just jiggling there. And so as we began to pray over our meal, I just said, Lord, turn that into a meatball. I pray thee. You said, believe you receive and you shall have. I pray, turn that into a meatball. And I looked down and it still wasn't a meatball. So I stuck it in my mouth and swallowed it whole a million times. I drove home. Someone was watching the children. And I went to the kitchen, the pantry. And she said, I made you a pot of meatballs. I ate one as fast as I could. And no more swallowing that oyster a thousand more times. So it was a minor miracle. I didn't even want to taste it. But he paid for it. And so I, honored, I did the honorable thing. And I ate it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at Psalm 119, 103. Your words are so choice, so tasty, I prefer them to the best home cooking. God's word is to be preferred above the best home cooking you have ever eaten in your life. Preferred above it. What's he trying to say to us? We love to eat, don't we? Anybody here doesn't like to eat? Stand up, raise your hand, whatever. You don't like to eat. You just don't like to eat. Well, we all like to eat. And we all need to eat. He is saying, look, this is so good. This is so tasty. And you don't have to really develop a taste for it. You should know it. It's so good. Taste and see the Lord is good. Take that one verse if you have to and say, you heal all my diseases. Until you actually taste it means you experience it. You engage yourself in it. You walk in the, the reality of it. That's what he's saying to us. Man, don't be satisfied without getting the full taste of what it means when you read that verse. So, feeding our faith on a regular basis is what enables our faith to grow. So we have to hear it over and over and over and over again because faith doesn't come by having heard. It comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. So, I pray you had a good meal. Not blue points. Let's all stand together before the Lord.